It's Wednesday. That means another meandering episode of Home Court Press. Last week was supposed to be our Derek Favors free agency episode, but Gail Miller, longtime owner of the Jazz, decided to throw a curveball and sell the franchise to Ryan and Ashley Smith just before we recorded. So McCade and I thought that would take a little bit of precedence. Now we've finally got the Derek Favors pod here. Jazz fans far and wide have been clamoring for Favors to return to Salt Lake and finish his career with the franchise. But will the Jazz needs, Favors' contract desires, and the cap sheet conspire to prevent a Derek Favors homecoming? Today, McCade and I talk all things Favors and the star-studded Brooklyn Nets coaching staff under first-time head coach Steve Nash. But first, conversation continues about next season's start date, Home Court Press talks what would be best for the league. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press. Welcome back to Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined as always by McCade Pearson, the fire starter himself. McCade, how you doing, man? Uh, we're doing good. I'm tired. I was doing election stuff late last night for work. Not the fun election, just all the little local ones that... There's 75 little elections going around this state that I had to keep track of. So I'm tired, but we're good. There's some NBA news going on. We're getting closer and closer to the season, regardless of what that date is. So that's fun. And we're, what, two weeks out from the draft and two to three weeks out from free agency. So life's good. Yeah, the offseason continues to roll along. Uh, we're still having some conversation about when the start date is going to be. We do know the draft is still set for November 18th, and then free agency and the start date for next season is all still up in the air but it's looking like we should get some kind of a, a decision a vote made by the players association possibly even as early as thursday so that'll be something to keep an eye on um some of the just odd things you and i were talking off air mccade but it just seems weird that all of this is coming out like it's some sort of a revelation now i feel like the league had to have an idea that they were going to be losing money, and depending on when they started, you might lose more money than an earlier start, might lose less money than a later start. Um, and then, obviously, whether you play 82 games, 72 games, 60 has been tossed around a little bit. But it it just seems like, it, it almost seems like this is the first time the NBA has been caught unprepared since Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's kind of weird because they said originally we're going to get a draft two days after the finals, free agency three days after that, and then we're going to start December 1st. And everyone's like, okay, that sounds fine. The start date's a little shaky, but that sounds pretty good. And then all of a sudden they moved the draft back a month, and I'm still not sure why they did that. They say it's for teams to do a little bit more scouting and interviews and all that fun stuff, but teams have been looking after these prospects for now, what, 19 months, 20 months? I mean, years. So that's interesting is when they initially moved the draft back to – couple weeks from today and then all of a sudden everything else has to move back and then yeah you just got to get in the season you step back and you're like wait a second there is no way they're getting to mid-january and playing 82 games and finishing in september again that just doesn't make any sense so what's going to happen and then kind of chaos and panic mode came in where it's like well what do the tv deals want we're going to lose money on this we got to have christmas and all of a sudden they're pushing back the other way as time's ticking out and yeah, it's a little off guard. I think it's a good way to put it. 
I don't know. I, I kind of think that the, the networks, the TV rights and stuff, those people have come in and started to kick up a fuss and say, hey, if you don't start until January, it impacts us this way, and we're going to look at changing our contracts in, in certain ways. And I, I feel like that's got a whole lot more to do with it than the actual players, than any of the logistics of getting a season started. It's just it's the networks. It's the, the money that's coming in that way since they're losing such a huge chunk of income by not having – you know, they're not having fans in arenas, at least to begin with, it's looking like. They're not going to have mm-hmm. – so without that, they're not going to have concessions. They're going to have limited merchandise sales and things like that. So I get it, but, I again, I just don't think the, the main concerns being expressed here are actually from the NBA and its players. I think it's it's the NBA reacting to the, the big money television contracts. No, that's spot on. So you have Christmas. It's obviously a huge, huge, huge day. But then on the back end, like, they wanted to go over the Olympics, and regardless of NBA players playing in the Olympics, that's a totally different conversation. I like watching the Olympics. A lot of people, a lot of casual sports fans, like watching the Olympics. And the TV deals, they didn't want to compete with the Olympics. They didn't want to have the conference finals going on while the Olympics were going on on another channel because that's a tough competition to have. And same thing can be said with football. They kind of dealt with that this past year. If you get into August, and then late August or in September, you're really fighting with the Olympics and then football, and that's not what they want. And these players have had a lot of time off for the most part. We always go back to the final teams, even the Nuggets and, you know, the Bucks and some, you know, the kind of the final eight teams. But 22 teams have been off since September 1st, which will be basically a full offseason after a four-month already off earlier this year. You've got eight teams that have been off since March. And so this always made sense to go mid-December, but – you're right. It was a little late. Um, so we'll see if that ends up happening. As you said, a vote expected later this week. Uh, they should have everything resolved by Friday. Otherwise, they're in some trouble. They've already pushed back that date three, four times over the past four or five months. And I'm not sure if they can afford to push it back another week. Yeah, I, time-wise, I don't think they have the opportunity, the option to push that back anymore. They're going to have to get a vote in. They've already crossed that 60-day threshold. But I, I think that as long as they can get that vote this week, it should still happen. Um, and, and, you know, two weeks ago when this these rumblings started to come out, I really thought that it was likely to be a, a mid-January MLK Day type of start for the NBA. But it seems like they're pushing more and more to get the TV rights taken care of. So I, the basketball fan in me loves the idea of this Christmas Day start date and all of that. But... The, the logical side of me questions why this is happening, but, hey, I, if I get to watch basketball, I'm probably okay with it. You know, I'm surprised they're not even going a little more crazy and being like, we're going the baseball model. We're playing six days a week, and you could just rest your players like you do pitchers. Like, we don't care who you put on the court. We're not going to find anybody for load management, but we're going to send you out to, you know, we're going to send you out to Minnesota, and you're going to play three. You're going to play back-to-back-to-back there and play the Timberwolves three times in a row. And guess what? You're going to rest Donovan Mitchell one of those games. You're going to rest Rudy one of those games. And you're just you're not going to put up with the back to back to back. But that's how we're going to schedule it because we got to get these games in. Um, but yeah, look, it's looking right now like they're going to go 72 games with some weird things going on with the schedule. But it should be fun. Um, some other news and notes around the league though: the Phoenix Suns are back. They just relocated to Brooklyn. Yeah, but the uh... and, they, and they reorganized who's in charge a little bit. Yeah, they reorganized that just a bit. But otherwise, yeah, we got the Phoenix Suns back. The the mid. 2000s Phoenix Suns. Give me a sign, Joe Johnson. Then my <laughs> life will be complete. Joe Johnson um, is still trying to make a comeback. Maybe they can sign him. Right. 
So, no, yeah, Amari Stoudemire, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, all sitting on the same bench. Uh, Steve Nash is in charge. And uh, it's a good get for them. I think they need a head coach there in D'Antoni to kind of keep an eye on things, even if he is an assistant. There were a couple big signings on that Nash coaching staff. Obviously, D'Antoni is the huge name that comes in with tons of head coaching experience. He has some playoff successes, never won a title, never played in the fi- never coached in the finals, but still has a lot of great experience. And for him to come in and coach under Steve Nash, a first-time head coach, and then also, I don't want it to go under the radar, Ime Udoka is a guy who played in the league for a couple years, has bounced around on a few staffs, uh, has coached most recently, I believe it was, in San Antonio. But he's a, an up-and-comer type of coach. That I, I think the Nets have really, they might be stumbling onto something here with their coaching staff and being really specific, bringing in Amari Stoudemire to work with some of their big guys, Ime Udoka, they've got Mike D'Antoni, they retained Jacques Vaughn, who's got some head coaching experience. And it's, it's going to be interesting to watch with that Nets team. Really, for me, the biggest question with the Nets coming into next season is how, can, how do they deal with the Kyrie Irving curse? I mean, the, the guy's just kind of a, a head case, to put it mildly, and he's difficult to deal with in a locker room. So as long as they have the personalities to handle that, I think the Nets could be in for a pretty good season. Yeah, they're one of my most interesting teams. So I sit down every year. Sometimes I tweet it out. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do it really formally. Sometimes I don't. But I go, okay, over the next 10 years, what is how likely is a team to win a championship? Rank them 1 to 30. And the Nets are one of the teams I don't know because I don't love their long-term outlook. I don't trust KD coming off an Achilles. I don't trust Kyrie Irving on anything in the world. But they have a chance to back their way into a title in the next year or two. And these coaching hires are good for that chance. But at the end of the day, the players play. The players score the basket, and they're what wins titles. And I'm still not sure if Kyrie Irving and KD can do that at this point in their careers. So we'll see, but the Nets are fun to watch. They've got some coaches there now that should make things interesting, and I'm excited to see what happens there. So now we, we talked about those Nets coaching hires and filling out the coaching staff there. The only team in the league left without a head coach at this point are the Oklahoma City Thunder. I, a lot of people expect the Thunder to sell off. They're not going to have – they're probably not going to re-sign Danilo Gallinari. They're probably going to trade Chris Paul and look to move on from some other guys. Uh, possibly a Steven Adams and things like that. So it's it's interesting to me that they don't have a coach yet, but also kind of makes sense considering the probable turnover in their roster. Yeah, um, they're taking their time, and I get it. They're not in a hurry because they don't really know what they're doing next year, and they're trying to decide if they're going to compete or not and all that fun stuff. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of strange. As time's ticking, the draft's in two weeks. The season starts in under seven, potentially, so... I expect them to hire by the end of this weekend, but it is weird that they haven't. And then one other note, I'm sure we're going to be having conversation about this after the draft, uh, maybe even leading up to the draft, just because we don't do a ton of draft coverage ourselves. But uh, trade possibilities. A guy associated with the Jazz for several seasons, Drew Holiday, uh, came out this morning. Sounds like the Pelicans are aggressively shopping him and listening to offers. So, that's just another name we can throw into that trade market bucket. You know, I already talked about Stephen Adams, Chris Paul, uh, Bradley Beal's another guy that's been mentioned, Drew Holiday. So, uh, you know, it's not just free agency and the draft coming up for these NBA teams. I think the trade market is going to be insane compared to seasons of past. 
And it's going to be very unpredictable because it's all going to happen at once. But yeah, so he's got, what does he have left on his contract? One year, I believe. He's got a $26 million and a $27 million player option. So kind of a weird contract. That $27 million number is very in play. It could go either way depending on how this next season goes. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be had there. Team's going to get a good get there. Brooklyn's a chance. Uh, Milwaukee's a chance. I'd love to see him in Indiana with his two brothers because who doesn't want three holidays um, <laughs> in Indiana? But that's definitely a name to keep an eye on, and I think they'll end up moving him here pretty quickly. I think Drew Holiday is something that's going to be worth watching. He does have that big player option next year. I wonder if he's a guy that could get moved. It, it wouldn't be a sign-in trade, but does he get moved and then rework his contract a little bit to fit for somebody going forward? You know, Do, do the Nets make a move for Drew Holiday, try to bring in that defensive guard presence, and then rework his contract, extend him to four years out, get rid of that player option? So it's something that's going to be interesting and, and worth watching as we go forward. Yeah, it's a, he's got a, as, yeah, as you mentioned, not a weird contract situation, but an intriguing one. And not only where he gets traded, but what happens in the following weeks after that trade is for sure interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well, McKay, that's, that's probably enough around the league. Let's start talking about the man of the hour, Derek Favors. Jazz fans, we know about this guy. He's 6'9", 265. He's just a monster of a man. Good athlete. He's good around the basket, really good defensively. And, you know, obviously he spent nine years with the Jazz. And in that time with the Jazz, he averaged a little over 12 points per game, seven and a half rebounds. Last season with the Pelicans in 51 games, he averaged nine points and under 10 rebounds. So this is a guy who brings a lot to the table, uh, not necessarily all in counting stats, but what he does in the locker room and, and what he brings to the floor. It's something that's really tough to find in a free agency market, typically. What do you think about favors? No, I, I love favors. It was funny because, you know, I'm a huge Tony Bradley guy, right? And so I was looking up some Tony Bradley stuff and just kind of some numbers he fit. And I put in, I think it was points per 36 minutes, rebounds per 36 minutes, and 60 true shooting percentage, something like that. And, like, nine guys popped up, and it's Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, Tony Bradley, or, like, the top three. And then it's, like, I think Steven <laughs> Adams is in there, and there's, there's nine guys. I think Giannis was obviously in there, and I'm like, well, we're not getting him, so, you know. But... The things these guys do bring real value to a team. And favors, we, for some reason, there's this narrative kind of in Twitter culture, NBA culture right now, but he's kind of on the downhill. And I think he's just really hit a strong plateau, not necessarily on the downhill. You mentioned the 9.8 rebounds both last year for Jazz and the last year with New Orleans. Um, he only played 24 minutes a game last year. And so his per 36 numbers was 15 rebounds a game, which is way higher than anything ever hit with the Jazz in large part because he was playing center. And that's kind of the big topic of do we want favors back is how much money do you put to a backup center? Is he a backup center? Is he a starting power forward? And that whole conversation that we can have if you want to. But favors still has a lot of game left and a lot of value left if you accept what his value is. It really just comes down to where do you value Derek Favors? What do you think he can offer to the team? Um, one thing that I focus on as I'm looking at roster building is I, I feel like there's always at least one position that you want where you can get 48 quality NBA minutes. You're not at the back end of the roster trying to get five minutes out of a Mia Oni or something like that. You've got 48 minutes from one position. I don't think the Jazz had that at the center position last year. I, I mean, really, besides point guard, I don't think they had that anywhere on the roster. But 
the reason why I'm personally hesitant to spend so much money and commit that that type of contract capital and things like that to the backup center position in a Derek Favors is just because I would rather have guys who can create for themselves and create for others and, and stack a position that allows me to do that rather than do it at the center position where guys are still kind of limited. Rudy Gobert is great and can do a lot of great things in the league that nobody else can. But he can't do those most of those things for himself, especially on the offensive end. And that's why I would be hesitant to spend a, a full middle-level exception on a guy like Derek Favors. Is he worth 9 or $10 million for what he gives you? Absolutely. But is he worth it for the Jazz? That's where I'm not 100% sold. No, you know I'm a huge, huge, huge fan in building your team. I call it building it vertically instead of horizontally. Um, that's just the terminology I've used. But because I love the 2009-2010 Lakers team that ruined my childhood with Lamar Odom, Pau Gasol, and Andrew Bynum. I think this is the same thing Daryl Morey did with Chris Paul and James Harden in Houston, where he's like, we're just going to have the best point guards, the two best point guards in the league, and we're going to play them together, and you're not going to be able to stop us. I, so I think even the Lakers, to an extent, with JaVale Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis a tiny bit, and LeBron James, who pretty much, let's be honest, LeBron James is also a power forward. So... You see this still having success around the league, and I still think it's the Jazz's best way to a championship. Um, I don't know if Favors is the guy specifically, although I do really like Favors, but there's been a lot of talk about, oh, Rudy and Favors, can they play together? How's the offense? Can they play together? You know, we've heard that for five years now, right? Yeah. Um, can I read off the 2019 on-off numbers? Yeah, absolutely. So Rudy and Favors on, they were a plus 3.4. Let's stop right there and talk for a second. A plus anything is a good thing. Even if they're only in the 12th percentile offensively, if they're in the 100th percentile defensively and they're a plus 3.4, that's still really, really good, and that has a lot of value. But then what gets interesting, Rudy without favors was a plus 9.3, and favors without Rudy was a plus 5.2. And then if they were both off, they were a plus 3.4, but the leading lineup for them both being off was Grayson Allen, Nazmi Chulong, Georges Niang, Tyra Cavagna and Tony Bradley, who basically that was just the Clippers game that went to overtime on the last day of the regular season. So basically there was no minutes without Rudy and Favors, like pretty much at all. Um, and so having one of those two players on the court for 48 minutes a game, like we mentioned, is so valuable because it means theoretically, in principle, you're always building your lead. And that's something the Jazz struggled with this past year. Because when Rudy was on, they were a plus 6.4, and that was great. But when Rudy was off, they were minus 6.2. And so Rudy would get you a lead. You'd lose some of that lead. Rudy would build up the lead again. You'd lose some of that lead. And sometimes it would fall too much, and we'd lose the game, game seven against the Nuggets, for example. And other times, Rudy didn't play well, and then you had nobody else to be able to lift that team and say, okay, if Rudy's a minus five, we're still going to have a chance to win tonight. And favors or other options in that role can really bring that constant climb to the Jazz that I really like. Thanks for tuning in today. Home Court Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E 24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and now back to the show.
Okay, so Derek Favors, I, I think we both agree Derek Favors would make the Jazz better over the course of an 82-game regular season, 72, 60, whatever the regular season ends <laughs> up being. Favors makes them better over the course of that. Does he make them better in the playoffs? Does he help them get to the goal of winning a title? Because that's really what the every player is here for. That's what all the fans are here for is we want to see a title in the long run. And I'm not sure that favors with the backup center minutes makes the Jazz a better team for that 16-game stretch when it gets to May and June. And I, that's, again, where I kind of hesitate. What's that? And July and August. And July and August. No, um, that's a really good question. And it's been tough to answer because, let's be like, favors was not much help against Houston. But frankly, nobody was much help against Houston, right? Um, they ended up starting Jay Crowder, and yeah, it just got really weird. And if Favors isn't going to play next to Rudy and behind Rudy, he's not worth it, right? But you look at the other two things. Actually, I'm going to pull this up. So the Jazz won a playoff series 2017 against the Clippers, and Rudy missed a couple games, and then Rudy was in foul trouble all of Game 7. And let's not forget, Game 7 in L.A., Favors came out and put up 17-11. and 11. And that was a huge part, and it was a plus 15. And that was a huge part why the Jazz won Game 7 on the road in L.A. And then the very next year, he was a crucial, crucial part of the series win in Oklahoma City. Um, he had that monster Game 2. We had, like, 45 offensive rebounds, if I remember correctly. And then hit that huge jumper to kind of seal Game 6 and close the series. So Favors, he has that statue where he's going to play well in the playoffs and he's going to make an impact. But, again, how many minutes and where do those minutes come from is kind of the defining question on if it's worth it to bring him back or not. Okay, so Faves has shown that he, he's really a 25 to 30-minute-a-game guy. Uh, he hasn't played yeah. more than 20, 28 minutes a game in the last five seasons. So yeah. if we can convince ourselves that the minutes are there, and if you if you start Rudy and, and Favors together, play him six minutes a game at the beginning of each half, that gets you to 12, and then he can back up those Rudy minutes you know, six, seven minutes in each half. So that gets you to your 25 minutes a game. If Rudy is so impactful on both ends in the playoffs, why would Jazz fans want to have him off the floor or be able to have him off of the floor more? Obviously, we can look at this Nuggets series from the last season, but the Nuggets are are different than most teams in the league, that they run their offense through a, a center like Nikola Jokic. Most teams don't have that. So unless more teams in the league, like the Lakers obviously won a title doing this, but unless more teams in the league play with a big on the floor constantly, I just I think you're wasting money if you bring favors in at nine, ten million a year and have him on the bench and backing up Rudy and then when you're playing him together. I it just doesn't seem like it works out because again, you get to the playoffs, Rudy's off of the floor a little bit more in spite of how impactful he he is. And how many other teams just in the West right now would you really want two very productive bigs? I, I mean, you can. There's only a handful of them. Like we've said, the Lakers, the the Nuggets are a team that stands out. The Blazers are, were a team with some bigs last year. Um, who else no, in the West had size? And it's interesting seeing where the league's going because there is a little transition back to two bigs right now going on, and you're wondering, yes, is it a few teams or is it a thing, or what's going on exactly, and. Yo, that's a great point because you get to the playoffs. If Rudy goes from 34 minutes to 40 minutes, where are those six minutes coming from? It's Derek Favors, and you want to win in the playoffs. 
we've talked about some previous podcasts. Go listen to the previous podcast. The MLE is weird this year because it's pretty much just like 15 bigs and there's no wings who are worth anything. So I don't know. And does the continuity of bringing Derek Favors back mean anything? I don't know. Um, sounds like Jazz fans would love it for the most part. It sounds like Favors wouldn't hate it. But there's just something off that I can't put my finger on about if it's a good idea or not. I was looking through the Pelicans payroll and and cap going forward and trying to figure out if the Pelicans are going to want to pay Derek Favors because it's going to come down to a mid-level exception type of offer for Favors or the Pelicans are going to be able to pay him more. That's that's all he has available to him. I'm not sure how many teams would even offer him the mid-level exception. So, so can I stop and ask you one quick question? Yeah. What position does Zion play? What position does Zion play? I think Zion is a, a small forward, power forward with the ball in his hands when he's that, healthy, but I don't trust him to stay healthy. Question. If they want to play him at center, then obviously you want favors out of the way. If they want to play him at the three or four, then it gets a little more interesting. I think when, as I looked at the Pelicans roster, I, I really came to one conclusion, that if the Pelicans are going to pay Derek favors and they, and they do want to bring him back, it's going to be for fewer years. I could see the Jazz doing like a four-year, full mid-level exception type of offer. If he went back to the Pelicans, I don't think it's for more than two years. It might be for closer to what he made last season, which was just which was $17.5 million. I don't want to say just. That's, that's a pretty good chunk of change. But maybe they oh, yeah. maybe they sign him for two years at fifteen million dollars each year, and and that way they can bring him back. They can allow a Jackson Hayes to continue developing, and they continue to build their roster around the youth that they have. Um, but otherwise, I just I don't know how many options Favors is going to have. I I think it's probably kind of likely in the end that he he ends up signing a one year deal somewhere and hoping to rehabilitate, not even rehabilitate, um, just to end up in a better market next season. That's really what yeah. it comes to. He we're didn't play poorly. what's going on and has cap space, and hopefully we're through COVID a little bit. But, yeah, that's the number one thing nobody's really talking about with the mid-level, and it's because nobody has answers, is how many years are going to be on these mid-level deals and how important that is to players. You know, is Derek Favors more likely to take a partial MLE of, hey, we'll give you $7 million, but we'll make it a four-year contract so it totals out at $32 million. Or does he want the, hey, two for 20? Or, you know, so that's a weird thing going on where, because Emily can be up to four years, but it can pretty much be as long as you want it to be. So, yeah, there's just a weird value there of how long, how much is time important right now as we're in a little situation with the whole COVID thing. So, yeah. That'll be interesting to keep an eye on is how players are valuing longer term deals. Yeah, I or think that's one. It's a market again when there's actually money. That's one that is, is really interesting to me. I think you're going to see a lot of guys signing one-year deals, maybe even two-year deals, because next year's top of the free agency market is so strong that maybe you'll see some guys, some of these these mid-level guys like a Derek Favor, signing two-year deals, get them through next year's free agency, and then they can test the market again. Uh, and then that allows for things to stabilize with COVID and everything as well. So that wouldn't surprise me at all with this offseason. Yeah, the other thing, because you said four years for uh, Derek Favors, I was like, why? He's old. Like, what? He's, he's 28. 20. Yeah, and then I was looking at it, and he's the same age as Gordon Hayward. He's the same age as Paul George. He's the same age as Eric Bledsoe. 
and some other guys are like, yeah, he's, you know, he's 30 now. Sorry, I misclicked on my basketball reference sheet. He's not the same age as those guys. That's the same draft class. He's no. younger than all those guys because he's the youngest member of his draft class. So he's the same age as Avery Bradley, um, DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall, if they ever get back to being anything, um, some other guys. And so, I, yeah, he's young. And I think he could survive for four years if the Jazz wanted off him for four years. And every contract's tradable. If something went really bad, you can trade a $10 million contract pretty easily. We saw it with Dante. Um, and so I think that is a very valid option for the Jazz. I wake up every day and I decide different on if I think it's worth it or not, though. McCade, where can uh, listeners find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Holy crap, I almost forgot how to spell my own name there. Um, <laughs> no, but I've been putting out some fun jazz graphs lately comparing Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So if you want to get really nerdy and look at some cool visuals, give me a follow because uh, I've been on a little roll lately. Hey, it's all right, man. I forget how to spell my name almost daily, but I think that's got more to do with being in my 30s than anything else. <laughs> I'll get there one day. But you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter, at BPriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. If you like what you're hearing with the podcast, share, rate, and review, and get it out there into the world. Make sure as many people as possible can listen to it. Also, with Twitter, if you've got any topics that you want to hear about with the jazz, between McCade and I, we can look up pretty much anything, find whatever we need. We're doing one episode a week every Wednesday. So if you've got something we haven't talked about but you would like to hear about, please let us know. And now with that, McCade, let's talk NFL. We have one good week between the two of us, and now we we both come back to the pack. Did you go in three? I did not. I went one and two. Oh, which game did you get right? Um, I ended up getting the... Sorry, I got to find last week's picks. Oh, I got the, the Raiders game right. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Good call on that one. I should have seen that one coming. That's my bad. But, yeah, it was, a, it was another rough week for me. Um, I decided to make my picks super quick this week because when I do that, I'm about 65% right. When I do these slow down methodical thinking, I'm, like, not very good. So uh, I went a little quicker this week, but you won the week last week, so you get to go first, right? Uh, overall, McCade, I was doing the numbers today. You might want to take a look at it as well because I felt like they were – a little bit off, but what I have overall, you're six and fifteen. I'm eleven and ten, so at least I'm over five hundred right now. I'll take that. This and is crazy, six and fifteen. Six and fifteen, man. I, you're just not good at football. I don't know what to tell you. Well, like, so I do a, uh, I pick it every single game against the spread on ESPN every week, and I'm fine there. Like, I get a majority of games right there. I just can't get it when I slow it down. So, back to the drawing board, I guess. We're going to make a comeback. Maybe it's because we're putting our picks in too early each week. Tuesday and Wednesday is a lot tougher to pick than doing it on Friday or Saturday. That's true. Maybe that's that's my excuse. We're going to go with that. Well, you go ahead and use that excuse. I'm going to keep winning some games. And I'm going to bet on my team for the first time all season. I'm going to take the Broncos heading east, going to Atlanta, facing that terrible Falcons secondary and they're getting four points. They think Drew Locke may have figured some things out last week. And so I'm going to take my Broncos plus four. I uh, I kind of think they'll win outright just because the Falcons are so bad. I looked at that one. Couldn't quite get on it. My first pick, Steelers minus 13 and a half against the Cowboys. Because the Cowboys are terrible and have nothing good going for them right now. Um, they just ruled out Andy Dalton, not because of his concussion, but he's on the COVID list. That doesn't mean he tested positive, but he's on the list and ruled out. 
And the Cowboys are 0-8 against the spread this year. So I figured they're going to go 0-9 against the spread this year, and I'm going to take the free gimme with the Steelers minus 13.5. I got the Ravens minus 2.5 going into Indianapolis, taking on the Colts. Uh, the Ravens have two losses this year, probably to the two best teams in the league, the Chiefs and the Steelers. I think the Ravens are really good. And the like Colts Phillip still Rivers. have Phillip you know, Rivers at quarterback. He sucks. I like Phillip Rivers. So for those who don't know, I'm a diehard Packers fan. I've been to seven games in my life now, and the Packers are one in six when I go. Um, and I've seen them in like three, 13, and three years, and a 12 and four years. Like I'm seeing them in really good years, and things just always go wrong. And so last year I went to the Chargers game in L.A., and Philip Rivers did like four touchdowns on the Packers. They beat us by like 30. And it just made no sense. But I, so I like Philip Rivers, um, even if he did ruin my life last year. That was a year ago today, actually. Interesting fact. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah, I did take Ravens minus two and a half at the Colts as well. I know I went against the Colts at two and a half points last week with the Lions, and that didn't work out, but I'm going to try it again. Ravens bounce back from their loss to the Steelers. I think we've both done pretty well betting on the Ravens so far this season. My last game involves two more of the best teams in the league. I've got the Bucks minus five and a half taking on the Saints, their second matchup this year. A rematch of the week one outing, uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. So Antonio Brown is back now for the Bucks. I, I don't know if that makes their offense better or just more crazy. Either Did way, it'll be... How many snaps he's supposed to play? It didn't sound like he was going to be limited, but I'm not sure. Have you seen anything? They said, they said 15 to 60, so that doesn't really help much. But... <laughs> That's what they said. 15 so, to 60. That's quite a range. We'll see exactly what happens. But that's the rumor on the street is he's going to play 15 to 60. Okay. Well, there you go. What, so what's your last game on, on this one this week? Uh, I'm taking the Raiders minus one and a half in, I almost said San Diego, in Los Angeles. Um, you got the Raiders last week, so I'm going to take it this week. Uh, another road game for him that's a little interesting. And uh, Justin Herbert's been fantastic, but I'm still not – in on the Chargers quite yet. They're still only two and five and just had a brutal loss to the Broncos last week, as you know. It was a and great so, loss. A lot of fun to watch. I think the Raiders are actually solid. Sitting at four and three, I think they have a very legit path to ten wins in a five or six seed. And I think they continue that success uh, in LA this week and they beat the Chargers. And at one and a half points, I'll take the chances that it'll win by one or tie. All right, so recap, I've got the Broncos plus four in Atlanta, the Ravens minus two and a half at Indianapolis, and the Bucks at home being favored by five and a half against the Saints. Yep, and I got three favorites all covering and winning. Steelers minus 13 and a half in Dallas, Raiders minus one and a half in LA, Chargers, and Ravens minus two and a half in Indianapolis. See, I got three road favorites to cover. See how that goes. Well, it's not going to be worse than the 0-3 you had last week, McCade. I wish you all of the best luck. 9-15, here we come. <laughs> all right, now, man. You're going to be shocked. Once we get to week 11 and I'm 15-15, you'll be shocked. We'll see. You don't have a track record to show me that's going to happen just yet. But All right, that'll do us for Home Court Press today. McCade, thanks for joining us again as always. And did you have anything else? No, we dive into draft coverage next couple of years. I mean, next couple of weeks. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, we'll start doing a little bit of draft coverage. Uh, maybe look at. I, I'm thinking we might take a couple draft lists and go over those a little bit and just talk some of the Jazz needs. But yeah, we've got draft coming up two weeks from today, and yep. then the NBA is back. 
we, we should have some news this week. So thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and have a great day.